Well, good morning, Grace. Uh, really glad that you're here. Uh, as we launch into this nine-week series, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, for nine weeks. And while we're uh, in that series, uh, actually from here on out, we, we have this journal uh, at Connection Point that you can pick up. Some of you journal, some of you take notes, uh, and this is a perfect tool for you to dig in deeper or, or just keep track of your thoughts and, and, and the notes that you take in this series uh, and we have reflection questions at the end of every outline. You can journal those, those questions uh, in this. You can take them to your small group if you're uh, d- doing 2 Corinthians with us on a Sunday morning. They're $10 at Connection Point. Uh, that'll just be an extra tool for your um, uh, discipleship. And speaking of small groups, it's not too late. We launch next week. If you want to be in a small group, we still have room uh, for you in those groups. If you want to start your own group, we'd love to help you do that. Uh, but uh, again, that's just another tool in your discipleship. Second Corinthians, we're starting in chapter 1. Turn to that if you have a Bible. You might want that open uh, with you, or you can use the Bible that's provided, uh, provided uh, page 964, uh, or go to YouVersion uh, and take notes, or open up uh, the journal. Now, um, first question I want to ask uh, to you, how many of you are letter writers? You actually write things on paper and send them to people? Okay, uh, people used to do that. Uh, how many of you are texters? Yeah, far more texters than letter writers. Up your game, okay? Um, in, in ancient times, uh, before the, uh, you know, the printing press and electricity and iMessage, uh, letter writing was the major form of communication among humans. And, uh, and we, live in an, we live in an Instagram uh, world where you know, long, deep thoughts, you know, does anybody have those anymore? Uh, Paul, uh, we, we have a whole section of the New Testament called the letters. Uh, people like uh, Paul and Peter and James uh, and John, they wrote, they wrote letters uh, to individuals. Some of them uh, were to groups of individuals, to churches. Uh, and uh, uh, this is what we're going to look at for the next nine weeks. We're going to look at a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. Uh, it is the second letter in the New Testament that we have from him to this church. And a couple of things I want to say about 2 Corinthians before we get into that. Some of you may be asking, uh, do I need to understand 1 Corinthians before we get into 2 Corinthians? And the answer um, is no. They are, they are two uh, actually separate uh, letters. Um, this is not like a, a sequel like the Lord of the Rings. Many, many of you have asked, uh, do I need to watch uh, Dumb and Dumber 1 before I watch Dumb and Dumber 2? The answer is you don't need to watch either. They're dumb. Uh, and you won't understand either, either one of them. Uh, but I just, you know, if you're going to watch Toy Story 4, please do yourself a favor. Don't rob yourself of the joy. Just Netflix all four of them. You know, start from one and go to the four. So this is, you know, this is not, 2 Corinthians is not like a, a, a sequel. Paul gets very personal. He wrote a 1 Corinthians and got very personal uh, with the Corinthians about their problems uh, in, in the first letter. But he gets very personal about his own problems in the second letter. So it's, it's kind of a different nature. Paul spent a lot of time in this city. So he knew them well. Uh, this church knew him very well. And so this is a very personal letter. And so we're going to see in this letter how Paul uh, unlays his heart, uh, pre- uh, presents his, his life uh, in ways that he doesn't do with, with other churches. And so here's the next question for you. Have you ever written down your heart? Have you ever put your heart down on a piece of paper for someone else to read? Have you ever exposed your life in a physical sense, in writing? That, that's very scary. It's very vulnerable. Those who have worked through 
uh, the steps of recovery. Uh, this is one of their steps, and they will tell you how horrifying this step is. They will also tell you how healing that step is. To see, to, to express your heart, to express your mind, and put it down in a physical sense, to examine it and to read it and to see all, to risk being known in this way to all the blemishes of your life, all the hurts that you hide from others, all the struggles. Paul put a, Paul uh, writes this very painfully honest letter uh, to people that he loved, to a church that he cared about. Two, two key words in this letter our suffering and comfort. We will see this, these two words often. There are 10 Greek words that can be translated suffering. Paul uses five of them uh, in this letter alone, 29 times. Paul uses some form of the word comfort. So we're gonna look at that a lot. What is comfort and how do you get comfort? And this is exactly where Paul starts this letter with both suffering and comfort. So join with me as we look at uh, chapter one, verse one. We're gonna go through verse 11. Here it is, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, and I want to stop there for a second because this is important. Paul distinguishes Christian suffering. There is a suffering that is unique to Jesus' followers. Now, the thing, every, everyone suffers, regardless of your faith. It, to live is to suffer. We live in a broken world where suffering uh, we, all of us, because we're, we're, we're broken sinners in a broken world. The Bible will tell us that some of our suffering is self-inflicted. You've made choices in your life and borne the consequences of those choices, and it's created pain and suffering in your life. The Bible will also tell us that some of our suffering comes at the hand of other sinners uh, who've made choices that have inflicted pain against us. And then there is the suffering that comes from simply living in a broken world. We're the victims of, of ra seemingly random and senseless tragedies and mishaps and, and just pain and suffering. But for the Jesus follower, there is an additional category. The sufferings of Christ, Paul says. And friends, he's talking about any time that you pay a price for following Jesus. And, and you have paid that price, uh, ridicule, uh, being made fun of, uh, being rejected, being treated differently, discrimination possibly in the workplace or in, in a social setting, um, all the way to persecution and death. When, when you pay that price, you, Paul is saying that you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Friends, we, we follow a suffering Savior. And so it comes with the territory. And, so, and in fact, the Bible would tell us to rejoice in the fact that you share in that suffering. That you have the opportunity to bear the marks of following, following the one, to suffer for the one and to suffer with the one who suffered for you. 
For just as you share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Our suffering comes on account of Christ. Our comfort comes abounding, abounding through Christ. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 6, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We are a community of sufferers because we all follow Jesus and we all share in the sufferings of Christ. And we are also a community of comforters where we share each other's comfort in a way that the world doesn't get or understand. So verse 8, we do not want you to be uninformed. This is, this is where Paul starts to get personal with his own life uninformed brothers and sisters about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. I want you to know what's going on with me, Paul says. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. I highlighted these four phrases um, where Paul is describing his personal experience of life and ministry. Great pressure. excuse me, talking about a weight that is excessive, like a car rolling over you, like a beam from a building or a wall from a a collapsing building falling on top of you. Have you ever felt like the world was caving in all around you and on top of you? Great, great pressure beyond our ability. This is something Paul says, I... I cannot hand, I cannot hold it up, I cannot hold it back. This is a weight exceeding my ability, exceeding my strength, even to the point where we despaired of life itself. What, what does this mean? For instance, this is, this is the Apostle Paul. This is amazing that he's saying this. It means that he was, he was done. What he had gone through, the struggles that he experienced was so intense, the pain was so deep, the trouble was so encompassing that he, that he had actually lost the will to go on. This is no buck up buttercup. This is, I, I'm finished. If I were to die tomorrow, that would be okay with me. That's what he's saying. I despaired of life. There's a common cliche, Christian cliche, that goes around. You've heard it. You've probably said it. God won't give you more than you can handle. It's not true. So don't tell that to people. Don't listen to that from people. Um, It doesn't line up with scripture. It doesn't line up with personal experience. Friends, that kind of thinking puts you in charge, it puts the focus on your strength and your ability, not on God's power. That kind of thinking actually pours on the guilt when you've crumbled under the weight of a problem you thought you should have been able to handle and take care of. Where does your help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You are not wired to handle the brokenness of this world. Why do we find ourselves in situations we cannot handle? Why would God allow us to reach a point that feels like death to us, like there's no way out and there's no way we can go on? Well, friends, there's many reasons why people suffer, but there's no reason bigger than this one. Paul writes, he goes on, he says, but this happened 
This happens so that there's, this is the purpose, this is the reason, this is what Paul is learning from this, this hopeless suffering, that we might not rely on ourselves, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead, on God who raises the dead. Say that with me. God who raises the dead. Say it one more time. On God who raises the dead. Friends, suffering knocks us to our knees to remind us that you cannot handle the brokenness of life, but you have a God who raises the dead. He goes on, verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Notice how many times Paul puts the focus on God. He has delivered, he will deliver, he will continue to deliver. Verse 11. As you uh, help us by your prayers. I mean, there is a part that we play in this. There is a, there is a, there is a part where prayer comes in. What is prayer and what does prayer do? Well, prayer does a lot of things, but friends, at the core of prayer, prayer admits human impotence and recognizes divine omnipotence. Prayer reminds you that you cannot handle it, but that God can. There's a verse in 2 Chronicles. This comes out of the Old Testament, King Jehoshaphat. And all of his enemies got together and they all ganged up <laughs> at the same time. And, and, and the story is told in Second Chronicles 20. And uh, Jehoshaphat is standing there against all of his enemies. And he says, I, we don't know what to do. <laughs> we, we don't know what to do. But our eyes on you. Our eyes are on you. We can't, we can't handle this, God. But you raise the dead. I don't know what you're going to do. This is your problem, not mine, because we don't know what to do. So Paul goes on, verse 11, As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. In other words, when God delivers, and he has delivered, he will deliver, he will continue to deliver. And however he delivers in this particular situation, when he delivers, all the earth will know that there is a God in heaven. This is how Paul starts his letter. <laughs> uh, the relationship that Paul had with this Corinthian church was such that he didn't need to deal, he didn't need to waste time with the superficial niceties. You know, how you doing? How's the weather? How's the bears? Nobody wants to talk about that anyway. You know, do you have one of those friends where, you know, uh, you, you need at least one of these friends where you can skip all the fluff and get straight to the business of life. Okay, what's going on with you? Where does it hurt? What can I do? What do I need to pray for? Stop beating around the bush. Tell it like it is. Don't spare my feelings. Don't apologize for yours. We love each other too much to waste time. Paul says, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to make it. This is, this is the apostle Paul we're talking about, friends. Here I am, an apostle for God's sake. I mean, literally, for God's sake, I have been called into apostleship. And I am telling you, I'm confessing to you that if I could die today, that would be fine with me. 
And he's not just talking about physical safety. I mean, death, physical death was an option. But he, this, he's emotional here. He is, he is physically, emotionally exhausted and stressed and spent. He couldn't see a way out. He thought he was done. He wanted to quit. Friends, if you've never been there as a Jesus follower, you will be there. You just haven't been following long enough. Because following Jesus is hard. Taking up your cross is not a spiritual platitude. There is a price to following Jesus, and it is hard. What is, what is Paul saying to us in this passage? There's four principles I want to share. Here's the first one. Suffering. Friends, it's just simply a given. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. That word could be translated ignorant. Paul says, I want you to know. I, I want to be clear on this. I don't want you to be mistaken. I don't want you to be naive. You need to know what's going on with me. I don't want you to be uninformed. Peter, his brother Peter, uh, in, in, in the apostlehood, Peter writes a, a couple of letters to us, and he says to us, don't be surprised. When you are suffering, don't be surprised by that. So Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Peter says, I don't want you to be surprised. Why, why does he say, I don't want you to be surprised? Because here's the deal, friends. We're, we're always surprised. Aren't we? I mean, be, be, be honest. When we find ourselves in a situation that, you know, we had no warning, we had no preparation, we never saw it coming, we didn't think, we, you know, we deserved this. Or, we're always just a tad surprised at the suffering that God allows into our life. Job is a classic example of this. He had the perfect life, he had the perfect family, the perfect situation, he had everything that he could ever want. And without warning, without preparation, without an explanation, all of that was taken from him. You, here's the story, friends. Satan came to God and he, he accused God of giving Job everything he wanted. The only reason Job loves you, God, is because he gets everything he wants from you. Take all of that stuff away and he'll curse you. Well, the story's Job doesn't do that. Now, um, with, without a reason for his suffering, Job just clings tighter to God. Now, it wasn't easy for him. Job argues with God all through the way, but in the process, he learns to love God for God and nothing else without the reason for his suffering. Here's the deal, friends. Had God given Job a reason, Satan would have won. Friends, this is important to understand in your own suffering. It would have been the reason that kept Job going. Oh, I understand. You're having an argument with Satan? Well, we can't let him win, so I'll just, I am a buttercup, but I will try to buck it up, you know, so that we'll win this argument. That's not, that's not the deal, friends. God wants to know from Job, God wants to know from you. Are you going to trust me even without a reason? Are you going to love me even without a reason? Are you going to love me for me and for no other reason? Friends, all suffering is loss and nothing exposes love like loss, and the only way that Job could show that he loved God for God was to love God without the reason for his suffering. Do you understand that? The willingness to suffer without a reason is the only way that shows you if you are in this for God and not for yourself and not for what you can get out of God. Th think about this. Every we all ask this question. I'm guilty of asking this question. We all are. Every time you ask any why question of God, Friends, you're implying that not only do you deserve an explanation, you kind of deserve an exemption. Why, why are you letting me go through this? Why are you allowing me to suffer this? Why are you allowing, why, why like, like, be honest. It's like, God, are you, do you know what you're doing? 
and it's me you're doing it to. I mean, do you realize that? Now, not that we don't want to understand, friends. We're human. We're all humans. We all, we all are trying to figure this out. We, we would all like to see Romans 8, 28 and how that's going to play out in our problems. What I'm saying to you this morning, friends, is that you can't, this is not what you can live for. You cannot live for the reason. There are never enough reasons. And whatever reasons you have, never fully satisfy. Friends, reason don't, reasons don't solve the problem and reasons don't ease the pain. Those who require reasons never learn to trust God. Those who require reasons never grow to love God for God. Those who require reasons never experience the miraculous deliverance of God and the sustaining power of God's grace in their life. Those that require reasons quit loving God when the reasons don't come or the reasons aren't adequate. Jesus didn't say, take up your cross and understand me. He said, take up your cross and follow. Friends, suffering is a given. But here's the second point, friends. Comfort is the promise. You have the promise. Nine times in these 11 verses, Paul uses the word comfort. Now, we need to look at this word. Two things about this. How would you define the word comfort? How do we use this word comfort uh, in, in, in modern uh, society? Most of us, I think, think of comfort as anything that would make life uh, better, make life easier, make life more comfortable. A warm pair of slippers, a pillow top mattress. We have an entire hotel chain called Comfort Inn. We have an entire genre of eating called and we love it, okay? And so anything that would soothe the ache. However, the literal meaning of the biblical word comfort means to help by giving courage. To help by giving courage, to come alongside and give courage. In fact, the English word comfort comes from the Latin word fortis, from which we get the word fortress, or fortitude. In today's vernacular, this word is applied to anything that can make life better or easier or less painful, but the original meaning of this word actually has more to do with strengthening the person, giving them fortitude by the way that we respond to their hurt, rather than trying to make their life easier, trying to fix their problem and making it all better. In other words, friends, biblical comfort doesn't relieve our pain as much as it strengthens our resolve. Why is this important, friends? Because to understand, friends, as a Jesus follower, when bad, when bad things happen to you, when you're in a point of, of suffering, friends, Jesus followers don't get over it. They get through it. God doesn't lead you around the valley of the, of, of the shadow of darkness. He leads you through that valley. Denial and escapism isn't a part of following Jesus. There are lessons to be learned in the comforting process. There is character to be built in the suffering. There are aspects of God you will never know. There are aspects of yourself you will never discover without facing your suffering and allowing God to be the God of all comfort. So biblical comfort is about the strength to get through. Now here's the second thing about comfort. Comfort isn't something that you find. It is something that finds you. Because this is something you cannot handle. If you could handle it, you could find the strength. But you can't handle it. Comfort means with, with fortitude. Come with fort. 
fortress. It talked in a human relationship. It's about a person coming up alongside you, giving you the strength that you cannot generate on your own. Spiritually speaking, this is, exact, this is the Holy Spirit. What do we call the Holy Spirit? We call him the comforter, the person who comes along and gives us the strength that we cannot generate on our own. Paul says in verse 5, for just as we share abundantly in the suffering, so also we, uh, our comfort abounds. Okay, he uses these two phrases, just as, so also. This is a statement of comparison. And he's saying for every suffering, there is a strength sufficient to comfort. Friends, this is a promise. I don't know what you're going through. I don't care what you're going through. Whatever you're going through, this is the promise from God. There is a comfort sufficient for your suffering. This is the same letter that Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. Some of you are familiar with that. We don't know what that was. It was something that tormented Paul all of his life. He prayed, he prayed to God several times for God to take it away. God, number one, never took it away. Number two, he never gave, he never gave Paul a reason why he had it. Just like Job, Paul had to learn to love God for God. He had to learn to trust God for God without the reason for his suffering. And so God never gave Paul a reason. He just, he just said to Paul, my grace is what? Yeah, you know that, right? You know that. That whatever you go through, the promise from God, the God of all comfort, is that there is a comfort sufficient for the suffering. That's number two. Number three, character is the fruit. It is for your comfort which produces that fortitude that you're given, produces in you patient endurance, additional fortitude. James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter said, the testing of your faith produces endurance and character. Friends, sometimes suffering is corrective. You've made the choice. And so now you have to deal with the consequences, the pain that's inflicted on you because of your decision, and hopefully you can learn the lesson of that. Sometimes uh, suffering is just simply c constructive. New th uh, through no fault of your own, you are the victim of pain and suffering and that God allows into your life to build the character, the, the endurance that you need. Either way, either way, we know this to be true of every human being. Suffering changes you. Suffering changes you. You are not the same person that you are today. I don't know what you're going through, but I know this about you, that you are who you are today. Number one, because of the things that God has allowed you to suffer, but equally as important, what you have allowed God to do through the things that he has allowed you to go through. Whatever it is that God has allowed into your life and however you have surrendered your life in that experience. I want to put First Peter chapter 1. Uh, Peter uh, writes uh, similar to this. Uh, we'll get, I'll get to it in a moment. But before I read it, I just want to give you uh, the context of Peter's life. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is right before the crucifixion where Peter comes to Jesus and says, Hey, buddy, I'm your man. Remember that story? You know, all these yahoos are going to run away from you, but I'm never going to leave you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand strong. I got your back. And you know what, Jesus, Jesus turns, you know, he looks at Peter and says, bless your heart. <laughs> Which interpreted says, yeah, you idiot. Um, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. That's, that's the reality of this. You're going you're gonna to fail. But you know, you know the rest of the story? I, I, I want to tell you, um, 
you are far worse than you give yourself credit for. You are, you, we always hype ourselves up. And Jesus just, he's blessing your heart. <laughs> he's just blessing your heart. And, and, and Jesus is far more awesome. I mean, it, this story is that Jesus tells Peter that he's going to fail. And then he says, but I, I am praying for you, Peter. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to let you go. I am praying for you. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. This is the story. Uh, Jesus says, Peter, Satan is going to sift you like wheat. Now, we're in the harvest season. What, what do we do uh, when we sift? When you sift the grain, you're separating uh, the grain from the chaff, and you throw away the chaff, the, the stuff that doesn't amount to anything, and you burn that, and then you keep the, the grain that's useful and, and productive. And so uh, Satan, is, Satan is, is wanting to test, just like Job. Okay, he's going to test you. And friends, suffering is a sifter. Suffering is a sifter. Before suffering builds character, it exposes character. And it separates the good from the bad. And here's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Uh, Peter, Satan wants to sift you and he wants to hold on to the bad. Because Satan is a liar and Satan is an accuser. And he wants to take that bad and he wants to throw it in your face. And he wants to condemn you with it and, 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 and guilt you with it and destroy you with it. But I have prayed for you, Peter. I'm going to hold on to the good. I love you and I'm going to remind you that I love you. And when you look at the cross, you're going you're to be reminded of how much I love you. I'm going to come alongside you and give you fortitude with my love. And when that happens, you're going to turn to your brother's. Because they're all gonna, they're gonna do exactly what you did. But because of the comfort that I've given you, you're gonna be able to comfort them in their failure. Now, this is the Peter that wrote these words. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter knew exactly what trials were like, the price he paid for following Jesus and the failure of his life. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Suffering is a given. Comfort is the promise. Character is the fruit. Here's the last one. Ministry is the purpose. Friends, God does nothing in your life without a purpose, without a reason. You are never blessed without being a blessing to others. God will always give you enough comfort to get through, but he will always give you extra comfort to give away. Every follower of Jesus is called into the ministry of comfort. Why? Because we know what it's like. We have an extra category of suffering. We know what it's like to suffer. And friends, only those who know suffering no comfort. Now what he says in this passage, uh, a couple of things. First of all, he says the God of all comfort. God is the God of all comfort, which means that you are not the God of all comfort. Some of us want to play God. Uh, some of us look to other human beings like they should be God. And then when they fail us, friends, we can't fix this for you. We can't make this easier for you. We can't, we can't even make you feel better. All we can do is come up alongside you and give you the strength that you cannot generate on your own. 
God is the God of all comfort. Uh, someone described human comfort like shock absorbers uh, on a car. You know, the shocks on a car does not eliminate the bumps in the road. What it does, it, is, it stabilizes the car. And friends, we are just simply stabilizers for each other. I, I may not be able to identify with your hurt, but I know what it's like to hurt. Friends, this is the body of Christ. We are here not to judge or evaluate or fix or even to make you feel better or make your life easier. We cannot do that. All we can do and all we should do is come alongside and fortify you with the strength that you cannot generate on your own, which is to say the second thing. Friends, one of the best ways to heal from your hurt is to love others in theirs. One of the worst things you can do is to, and, and we do this all the time, one of the worst things you can do in your pain is to isolate yourself from others. We do this all the time. I'll just step out of my small group for a while because things are going on. I'll just leave church for a while because things are messy. And we just get trapped in that and we get overwhelmed in that. We're not allowing other people to come alongside us and give us, we, we can't do this on our own. We can't generate this strength by ourselves. That's why we need the body of Christ to come alongside us, to give us the strength that we've received from God to pass on to you. Friends, don't waste your sufferings. God provides enough comfort to get you through and he gives you more enough comfort to give it away. This is the gospel. Jesus became like one of us. He entered into our suffering, our experience, identified with our pain. But you need to understand this, friends. Jesus suffered not so that we would not suffer. Jesus didn't suffer to exempt us from suffering. Jesus suffered for us so that when we suffer, we could become like him and comfort those that he has comforted. Would you pray with me? Father, some of us are there now. We've been there, we will be there. So remind us, Father, through the teaching of this passage that we, we are the body of Christ and that you have not given up on us. You have prayed for, right now you are standing at the right hand of God, interceding for every one of us. And because of that, because of the fortitude and the strength that we have from you, may we be the body of Christ to each other, to come alongside and to comfort with the comfort we have received. To that end, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.